Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, my name is Sean James. I'm here at the Sunstroke House in Columbus, Mississippi. And this song is called Orpheus. Oh, my heart had been aching since the day that I first laid eyes upon you. I knew you were the one Since that day I'd never been the same No one ever could turn me away Our love had just begun Oh, we let you open up
problem at all. <laughs> all right, Sean, thank you so much, man, for sitting down with me today. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. So fresh coming in from Nashville, from yes, America Contest. Yeah, yeah, it was our first time we've done it. Uh, I had uh, heard about it all these years, but I'd never, you know, experienced it. And uh, it's a good way to start the tour, because normally it's like show, 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 back to back. And uh -huh. this one, we had a day off when we first got there to get settled, and then we did a few showcases and shows for like the next three days. Mm -hmm. And the last two days, we had off just to enjoy the fest. So it was a really good time. Nice. Catching a lot of the different acts up there as you Yeah, yeah. There. It was quite a few. Um, Sarah Shook was one, and... Uh, yeah, she's been here. Yeah, I saw that, actually. <laughs> I saw that. It's pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, there was a bunch... Uh, Orville Peck was one we saw last night. Uh, another group from Portland called Horse Feathers was one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. But, you know Horse Feathers? Horse Feathers is yeah, good. Yeah, man. man. I, I saw them actually 10 years ago in the basement in Nashville. And uh, it was cool to see him for the festival and everything, too, you know. Yeah. And so just um, for folks listening, um, the tour. So this is stop number two. This is number two besides the festival, yep. And so, uh, where else is that going to take you? We're, it's a two and a half month straight run. <laughs> yeah, we started we started the year in the East Coast and uh, kind of came to the Midwest and stopped. And then we went to Europe, and now we're basically filling out the rest of it. So it's going to start in the South and the Midwest, and then go all the way out West. Nice. So it's a long one, yeah. All right, man, let's... Uh... Let's, I want to unfold a few things with you. So yeah, you're yeah. originally from Nashville. I'm originally from Chicago. Oh, wow. Born and raised. Yeah, I lived in Nashville a few years Okay. Uh, in 2008 or so, but I'm from Chicago. From Chicago. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so growing up, I see you got a Robert Johnson shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let's I, talk a little. I had to wear it. I'm in Mississippi. Come on. Hey, Catfish Alley is just right <laughs> there, man. <laughs> That's amazing. But um, growing up, man, what were your influences? What got you into music? Uh, for me, it was the church, you know, because I grew up, uh, my parents were hardcore Pentecostals in Chicago, which was a rare thing, to be honest. Yeah. But there was also a lot of gospel churches out there, and, and uh, music just spoke to me at an early age through the church and everything, and that was the thing that I kind of related to. And then quickly, you know, I could sing, and I was decent at it, so then I got into opera and choir and all this other stuff. But really the main influence is, uh, is uh, gospel music and soul music, and then eventually got into like old blues artists like we were talking about, yeah. Sunhouse, Robert Johnson, stuff like that. Right. And so uh, picking up the guitar, what, uh, what age did that happen? You know, I, I had a guitar when I was like 14, 15. It was, my, it was my dad's old classical guitar from like the 80s, and it was a horrible guitar. So I tried to learn on it. And it was so difficult, and I eventually just kind of gave up, to be honest. Yeah. And I just kept singing. That was my thing. It just came naturally. So, realistically, I picked up the guitar and actually learned how to play when I was about 22, 23 years old. 
So that would have been around the time moving to Nashville. Yep, it was in Nashville that I started that I that I really started uh, learning how to songwrite and play the guitar and sing and play at the same time. You know, because I had never done that before. Yeah. I'd been in bands, but only as the vocalist. Yeah. So it was a Nashville taught me a lot. You know, and that's where I really started fleshing it out and learning how to do it on my yeah. own. You know. And so leaving Chicago, you went straight to Nashville. Was it to no, pursue music or no? No, I, I left Chicago uh, and I moved to Orlando, Florida, and okay. I went and got an audio engineering degree because I thought that full was sale. A, yeah, it was full sale. <laughs> I went to full sale and I got the degree and everything because I thought you know I was pressured to like have a backup plan. What are you gonna do? You know the typical yeah. getting older thing. So I went and did it. Then it was fun. It was a good experience, and um, I got that and I thought well where am I going to go now with this? And Nashville was pretty close, and it seemed logical with all the studios and everything else there. So that's when I moved to Nashville. I think it was about 2007, 2008, something like that. Yeah, okay. And so uh, what studio did you follow in? I, I had a brief stint at Dark Horse, and then the main one was Paragon Studios in Franklin, Tennessee. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, man, the first song I heard from you, it was on Pandora, it was Flow. Okay, yeah. And um, I've heard a little bit in an interview about the story behind it. This was 2012, and along that time? In the interview, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the story behind Flo was, it was kind of in a rock between a hard, in a, between a rock and a hard place, right? Well, it's, it's kind of funny that you, you, that you uh, asked the question you did before this, because that's pretty much what it was. I moved to Nashville, and I was uh, pursuing the recording uh, engineering thing and I was assisting and interning and I was doing really well mm-hmm. and I was a part of these awesome sessions and learning a lot you know and one day the head of the studio at Paragon I remember he invited me to a session and it's rare because the new people don't normally get to and he invited me in and I was doing it and learning and he could just tell I guess because at the end of the session he was like do you want to be here like what's wrong like and I was like, I, at that moment, I felt my gut drop. And it was just like, no, I don't. I don't want to be the one twisting the knobs and making other people sound good and all that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not what I wanted at the time. And so that's when I was having this internal conflict of, you know, uh, career path and stability and something you can actually count on. Mm-hmm. And then chasing this wild dream of making music, and who knows if that's going to pan out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was then, and, and I talked to my wife, and she was super supportive. You know, she's she's always known that I've loved music and always wanted to do it. So she she gave me the go ahead on her end, and it was just a big internal struggle, you know, because yeah. what that meant was I was giving up stable money and just going to go and see what happens and risk it. So that's when I went out to uh, a river. It was uh, in Nashville, but kind of like an Antioch, Old Hickory area. It's an offshoot of the Cumberland. Mm-hmm. And I brought a guitar with me, and I was sitting there just kind of, you know, going through my head, all the, the things about that. And I just started playing that little riff. And it was just that, and I just kept doing it. Mm-hmm. And I was by the river, and it was super just beautiful and calming, and kind of just calmed me down. And within like 15 minutes... I just kept playing that, and the lyrics just came. 
Like yeah. I hadn't pre-written anything, and it was just there. It was the right moment, right time, uh-huh. and that's how I wrote that song. So yeah, that was in that was in Nashville, right outside of it. Mm-hmm. Those moments are rare, man. It I, is uh, my best. I think my best work is when I don't think about it too much. Yeah, and it just comes out of necessity. Yeah, you know? um, I sing and play a little bit, and uh, I've had one experience like that. And it's still favorite song I've ever written. Yeah. And it was that like I couldn't write the words down quick enough. Yeah, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. I started using my phone now. Yeah. <laughs> I just hit record. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, what about Orpheus? Like, where does where did that come from? Orpheus, I so I've been obsessed with mythology and legends and folklore my whole life. Uh-huh. And you know, I loved how the old blues guys used to integrate a lot of the. Uh, the stories but in their own way Mm -hmm. you know and uh, I always wanted Orpheus was always one of my favorite myths just because you know he had the power to bring makes I think there was said in one story he could make rocks cry and he just had the power of emotion and music and could make incredible things happen through it and then he lost his wife Eurydice Mm -hmm. and she went down to hell and he followed her there and you know, through music, defeated all these physical odds that were impossible, and you know, turned the heart of uh, Hades to let him take her out. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, I'm doing a summed up version of the story, but essentially on the way out, you know, she looked back or something like that, or he looked back to look at her. He wasn't supposed to look. He was supposed to know that she was behind him. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to go out. But if he looked back, then she would be trapped in the underworld forever. So he looked back because he was doubting. And then that happened. So it's just a it's, it's a sad story. And it's a beautifully poetic story. Mm-hmm. But I think why I loved it so much is uh, it really shows, you know, sometimes when you're so dedicated to something, logic doesn't play into, into the decision making. Or, you know, you're just going to do it no matter what against all odds no matter how impossible it seems and that's you know I'd always wanted to write that story that Orpheus story and that one was really I waited because I didn't feel like I was ready because mm-hmm. you know I'd only recently been songwriting so I was you know early 20s and I never felt like I was ready and then this last album I was like okay let's do it and I did it from his perspective so it's just what I would think he would be going through Especially, you know, I don't go into him losing her. My viewpoint on it was what he was feeling when he found out that he lost her and then that sheer will and drive to make it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I will bring you back to life and all that. But yeah, I just, uh, I'd always loved it and I finally felt like it was right, you know? Yeah, man. So to go back to uh, just after that riverbank and rotten flow. Uh Uh-huh. Where did where did everything go from there? It's, it started picking up, right? Uh, not yet, actually. Um, I wrote that song, and I just kind of held on to it. And I think I wrote a couple more from the first album, Shadows. Uh, and then my little sister got my little eleven year old sister got cancer, thyroid cancer, in Chicago. Oh, wow. So right after I made that decision and all this stuff that happened, and I moved back to Chicago just to support her and help her. Because I knew I had to be there for her, you know. Mm-hmm. She, I was 12 years older than her, and she looked up to me. And, you know, I went back there, and I was working 
a BS job unloading semi-trucks from 4 a.m. to noon just to be able to make it to her doctor's appointments and living in my parents' basement with my wife just because I had to be there for the family. It wasn't a, it wasn't a choice. It was a choice, but it wasn't what I wanted, but it's just the scenario that happened, and I couldn't not do yeah. that. You, know? you had to. Had to. So I did that, and that was about a year. And during that time, it was like really, really, really heavy. First of all, she beat it. She's doing much better. After a year of going through surgeries, doctor's appointments, all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. she beat it, and she's doing much better. But because I had to be the positive one during that time, because my family, I love them, but when bad You're things the happen, there's, they're very woe is me, everything is bad, tears, crying, and I was like, that is not the kind of attitude that's going to save her from this and make her feel good and be able to beat it. So I had to be the positive one. Yeah. But it was a really heavy thing to watch a little 11-year-old girl go through the thoughts of life and death and what if this and that and no little kid should ever have to think no. of that so it weighed on me heavy and the way that I would kind of deal with it is I would uh, when she would fall asleep whether in the hospital or at home I'd take a guitar and I'd go to another room I'd go outside I'd go to the yard if we were home and I would kind of drain my emotions through music mm-hmm. and uh, I wrote songs like uh, Midnight Dove is the one I wrote for her during that and I wrote some stuff from The Wolf then as well, the EP. Um, I think I think by having that happen, obviously it's not a blessing that that happened, but musically it created this need for me to drain my emotions, which made the songwriting even easier and more emotional and real. I've read that, um, and see what you think about it, and mm-hmm. this may be exactly what this is, but that the artist is in need of a constant struggle or a heartache. Um. You're not wrong. You know, it, and when it when it's not like that, it, it the songs I write, they're good, but they just don't feel as real mm-hmm. because I started that way. I think you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah. But yeah, it's a struggle that I'm I'm still going with now because it, you know things are good and everybody even when things are the best, there's still things that happen. But I'm start I'm trying to get over my own thought of that and be able to write songs without them having to be so heavy or, you know what I mean yeah but it's a difficult thing you're right because that, that's that's really inspiring to to go through something and then release emotions through music and deal with it you yeah know? yeah I've got a couple of friends it seems like all they can write is happy upbeat songs uh-huh. and I'm over here just <laughs> losing it out you know yeah man it's like you need to cheer up I was like this is what I got yeah hey <laughs> you know everybody's different you know it's it is what it is, you know. Yeah. Some people are meant to write happy stuff. Some people lean towards another, and just like genres, you know, you can't yeah. judge someone on that. It's what they feel. Yeah. So yeah, after that happened, uh, she was better, and I was like, well, I'm not gonna move back to Nashville. I made that choice. We don't need to be there anymore because I'm not doing that really. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple friends from an old band that were in Arkansas and Fayetteville. Okay. And so I moved out there. I went down there for a week and loved it. It's uh, you know it's a college town. There was a little arts community, a good circle of musicians, and I had an in with that friend group, so it was an easy and it was cheap cost of living center of the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is a perfect place to start a home base for what I want to do musically. Mm-hmm. So after moving to Fayetteville in 2012, like literally January 1st, I started uh, writing more music. I'd had about six to eight songs already that I like. I said like Flow, Midnight Dove, some of the Wolf things. But I wanted to flesh the stuff out and do more. And so uh, when I got there, I started busking. Because, you, you, you know, I was 
unloading semi-trucks making money and I was like you know what I don't want if I'm going to do this I need to be fully dedicated to it mm-hmm. so I said you know I'm not going to work and that's a scary thing to think about I don't have a steady income so I started busking as soon as I got there and I quickly learned I made like I remember the first day I did it I made a hundred dollars in an hour at a farmer's market and I was like what have you been doing 40 hours a week unloading semi-trucks for you, idiot? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that kind of opened my mind up. And, and from then on, I was, I was making just as much, if not more, doing back-breaking work, but playing music and busking. And doing what you love. Yeah, and at the same time, I was writing the record and writing the rest of the songs. And so we recorded Shadows in my uh, house, in my bedroom, with one microphone, with a buddy who would come over, who didn't know anything about it, and I was like, press space bar. <laughs> and I'm in front of the mic, it's done. So that's how we did Shadows. And, uh, you know, busking turned into some people giving me a shot at a venue to open a gig, mm-hmm. which turned into them giving me more gigs, and then doing solo gigs, and then, uh, you know, people recommending me to a booking agent because they thought it was worth it and it it, it snowballed from there mm-hmm. you know and then we had uh, we started doing YouTube videos and live takeaway videos like the flow one you saw mm-hmm. and uh, that that really catapulted everything you know because I feel like you know you can easily create something and perfect it uh, in a studio and on a track but when you strip it down and you've got a video right there and you're showing that you can do it without any bells and whistles and just strip down and bare, that's where the, the proving comes in. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that helped us a lot. And like I said, we just, you know, ever since, I think we started touring in 2013. Because we put out the record in 2012. Is this for the Shapeshifters? This was solo. This okay. was off of the Shadows album. Okay. So it was solo. Um, but I toured with Baker which is a guy, uh, he was an army vet, and he wrote Eating Like Kings, and uh, he toured with me on banjo mandolin, that's how it started, me and a kick drum, and him, and a tambourine, and then uh, we got a fiddle player, and then we were touring so much in 2013, but we were touring from the ground up, very DIY, and what I quickly realized is, all these emotional songs, when no one knows them, or wants to hear the... It's hard to play those in a rowdy bar when you just are supposed to be playing music for people that don't know you. It's different when you're known and you go to a place and people come to see you. It's mm-hmm. more respectful. It's you know They'll actually want to hear the songs. Mm-hmm. But that's where the shapeshifters came from because I quickly realized that it wasn't translating the right way. You know, House shows or something like that, these emotional, sad songs are perfect. You yeah. can milk emotions. But people were rowdy, they wanted to drink, they wanted to have fun, and I realized that, and so we wrote The Bear, which is that southern, swampy, you know, stomping, heavier record, and we started applying that to the shows and remade some of the old songs with a band feel, and then that helped as well, because Mm -hmm. we were able to then, you know, travel around, play shows, and actually make an impression and not just be the sad bastard in the corner. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's where that was, and, and we did that for a while, and then the shapeshifters got so different from what the acoustic stuff was, and it became its own band, essentially, mm-hmm. that I separated them. So, you know, the shapeshifters were, are, are now the heavier rock and roll, rowdy, riff-driven, roaring vocal type thing, and the, the Sean James thing is... Uh, 
the more emotional, acoustic, and yeah. a little bit of rock and roll here and there, but nowhere near the shapeshifters. Yeah. You know? I'm excited to see uh, what's going to happen tonight, man. In yeah. House, right? We're going to have fun, man. It's a, <laughs> it, you know, you never know when you, when, you, when you play house shows, and that's why I always, like, in, you know, talking to everybody, I'm like, you know, I can do this solo. And they're like, no, no, I want the band. And I was like, all right. <laughs> okay. <You> sure. <laughs> <You're> gonna... <laughs> I'll give it to you. We're going to blow the doors out. Hell yeah. But it's going to be fun, man. You know, after we've done like a thousand shows the past six years and we played under not every scenario, but a lot of scenarios. So nothing really scares me anymore. You yeah. know, it's just I want to make everyone else comfortable. <laughs> right. And so uh, as the tour went on, uh, solo and then shapeshifters mm-hmm. and uh, when did the TV shows come and start putting you on? You know, man. And how did that come to be? All that stuff, most of it came from the YouTube videos, right? So we had this stuff online that went viral and got more attention. Like the first one was "Who Did That to You" by John Legend. We did a cover yeah. when uh, Django and Chain came out. Mm-hmm. I saw that and I was like man, I want to cover that and I can slay it. So we went on this radio station and we did it and it was videoed and that's the first video we did that went viral. Someone posted it on Reddit mm-hmm. and then it got front page and just, that was the first one. Then we did a Wolf Sanctuary where we played a cover of A.A. Bondi's American Hearts mm-hmm. and that went viral and got like a million and sprinkled in between those there were all these live takeaway shows and little things that you know we did along the way. But all those the TV shows, the commercials came directly to my email because they had heard it somewhere. Most of the time it was from YouTube mm-hmm. and they liked it. Yeah. And so we, we, we've been on Discovery Channel with Yukon Men. They took omens from the shapeshifters and they found that through YouTube, just, you know, being over there. Yeah. And then uh, we run a Harley Davidson commercial with The Wanderer. Uh, there's been a lot of stuff. We were on HBO Shameless. Yeah, that's with uh, no rest. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And in the beginning, all of them just emailed me. I was like, at first, I didn't really take it serious. And I was like, ah, oh, BS. This isn't really true. I don't. I don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And then it just kept working out. And uh, the biggest one was the Sony PlayStation Last of Us with Through the Valley. Through the Valley is one of the darkest, most depressing songs mm-hmm. I've ever written. And even on Shadows. Like, it wasn't a popular song at all, but it was one of my favorites, you Mm -hmm. know. And then Sony PlayStation emailed me one day and was like, hey, we can't tell you about anything about this project. We can tell you it's a top-tier game. I'm not going to tell you how we're going to use it. I'm not going to tell you if you're going to use your version. I'm not going to say what game it is and if you'd agree with the placement or anything, but you want in? And at first I was like, uh, no. I didn't say that, but I was, you know, mm-hmm. talking to some people. I was like, I don't feel good about it because how are they going to represent the song? You know, yeah, how, what they're not going to tell me anything about it. And then a friend of mine was like, Sean, this is a huge opportunity for you to reach more people yeah. and, and hopefully make a difference in your career in the music world. I think you should take the risk. There's no reward without risk. So I did. And it worked out very well. Three years later, they released... This is three years... When I got the email, it was three years before they released the trailer. Mm-hmm. They released the trailer. It was The Last of Us, which is like the biggest... One of the hugest Sony PlayStation games ever. Mm-hmm. And that catapulted 
uh, the amount of people that was listening. They put me in front of a huge audience, and that double it, it well the, my listener base increased by like 20 times mm-hmm. 20 30 times bigger and our shows started doubling tripling quadrupling we got more things happening we had a publishing company we were working with and then you know through them i got with parts and labor records the independent label the new albums out on so it, all these things kind of snowballed into each other but it was all very random and in the moment and i didn't necessarily seek them out or hunt for them I was just making the music I love, touring a lot, and putting out videos, and it all came naturally. You yeah. Know? It's wild. Yeah. And so with um, just a little bit on the future, you got the tour for the remainder of this year. Mm-hmm. And um, writing, are you working on the next album? Um, I don't, you know, I, I tend to not write while I'm on the road, just because mm-hmm. my head is, it's like a, de- I look at it, it's kind of messed up. It's, I look at it as like a deployment. So I'm focusing on like the mission at hand, playing the shows, doing the best I can okay. there, having fun with people, talking to people. And for me to write, I tend to have to be uh, in solitude and alone and really flesh my feelings and thoughts out. So this, this, the schedule's been the past few years, you tour from like, you know, February, March to November, December, and then in the winter months is typically when I'm ready to write because I've been... I haven't been writing at all and there's like this surplus of wanting to write and then when I get the time and I'm alone it all comes out but I have written a couple songs huh does the season help like it just being winter and everything's kind of dead I don't know man that's a good question I don't know because I think maybe it's it's a maybe it'd be in the winter and chillier and kind of locked away it kind of helps with the solitude but I don't know if the winter helps or not maybe I couldn't answer that. You yeah. know, I've thought about that. Yeah. Actually, it's a good question. But uh, you were saying you got a couple of songs. Yeah, so I, I wrote a couple, and one of them is uh, one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's another dark one, really dark. One. <laughs> it's questioning uh, a lot of things about war and vengeance, even if vengeance is justified mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and putting myself in other people's shoes and kind of going through the thoughts of what they must be feeling versus what reality is and so yeah I've written a couple and uh, the one reminds me of a cross between uh, Thief in the Moon and Through the Valley okay and uh, I think people are really gonna dig that one it's one of my favorites so awesome yeah well man anything else to just add or subtract we can go ahead and start walking this thing out the door yeah not really you know come out see us at a show We're, we're touring we you know with this, we're, we're doing... Uh, the Shapeshifters aren't touring right now because we toured so much and didn't write any new music for so long that we said we're going to push pause on that until mm-hmm. we have a new record. It's halfway done, the record, but we're waiting. So, you know, if you come out to see us, you'll see uh, uh, a lot of acoustic stuff in the middle. We always do, like, you know, the emotional acoustic stuff, and then it's surrounded by a lot of rock and roll stuff as well. So it's a, it's a roller coaster ride of sounds and emotions yeah. for sure. But yeah, I don't really have much else to add. You know, we're just on the road enjoying it and looking forward to writing in the winter. <laughs> yeah. And so just as far as uh, social media and finding you, it's pretty easy to do Spotify, YouTube. Yeah, Instagram, Facebook, anywhere where you really... We're all over the place on yeah. there. Sean James Music is normally what it's under, or just Sean James. Yeah. S-H-A-W-N. <laughs> all right. Uh, brother, you want to close us out with another song? Yeah, I'll do another new one. So yeah, this one's from the new record, The Dark and the Light, which we put out in March. 
uh, and it's called There It Is. all you're gonna get it's all you need so sean thank you so much again for uh taking the time to sit down with me on uh, another episode of porch talk jamie thank you so much for all that you do at the sunstroke house and your heart for music and the fact that sean and the shapeshifters came and played in columbus mississippi there were people who drove five hours to be at the show blows my mind 
Now, Shonen probably only played at Mississippi. Maybe this was the fifth time. But uh, that just goes to show just its worth, its value. And uh, hands down, it was probably one of the greatest shows I'd ever been to. And so if you haven't seen Sean James live, uh, do yourself a service. And uh, go do that. That's really all the news or notes I have for you. Next episode, I'm catching up with Monk. We're going to do an untapped in vinyl for you. You'll hear about that soon enough. That'll be in a couple of days. All right, guys, I'm getting on out of here. We've uh, we've done well here. It's your host, Alan, and uh, peace out. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.